It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and my favorite segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. It doesn't have to be sports, but it can be sports. It's any topic. Go to Twitter, hit up hashtag AskSkinnyAnything, and we'll answer it. As always, this podcast presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, we're doing this a day earlier than we normally do. We'll probably be doing this throughout the basketball season because you've got a, a road trip coming up, correct? That's right. We're headed up to a Cleveland first conference series of the year for the Norse, an early random conference slate of games here this weekend, as opposed to the non-conference games that they still have four of left, so... Are they trying to do some action on us here? I don't know what this is about. I think they just have so many freaking games now with the added teams to the Horizon League and them playing the round robin that they just got to fit it all in somehow. So after they get back from this trip, they'll still have Canisius, Alice Lloyd, Eastern Kentucky, and Indiana before they get back into conference play again. So who knows? And believe it or not, Eastern Kentucky is going to be a good test. Indiana obviously is. We know that part, but Eastern Kentucky is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eastern Kentucky will be a good test. They've they've played some good games already in the uh, the early part of their schedule. They've had some good tests, and we'll talk more about the, the college basketball stuff here coming up. All right. Let's get to it. we got a lot to get to. Skinny, we are living through a week that will be remembered forever by college football fans. It all started when news broke that Lincoln Riley was leaving Oklahoma for USC. Then we found out Brian Kelly was leaving Notre Dame for LSU. The college football world has been turned upside down over the last three days, essentially. What was your take on the big college football news of the week? And how do you think Luke Fickle fits into all of this, especially now that the Notre Dame job is open? Well, first and foremost, shame on everybody that changed the recruiting calendar. It changed from now they can commit, uh, what is it, next with December 12th, whatever that is, 12th through 15th is the early signing period. It used to be the early signing period was, or the signing period was February. And this has changed everything from a coaching perspective, because now if you want to get a new coach, um, you, you have to do it now. And so, yes, I can point a finger at Lincoln Riley or point a finger at, at Brian Kelly uh, and point a finger at, at anybody else who's moving now, but I'm, I'm going to point it at the system. Before we get into anything else, that's what's broken. Everybody's looking and yelling and going, well, how can you leave with... Because this is what teams need to do. If you're Notre Dame and Brian Kelly takes LSU, and if you're LSU and your job is open and you're taking Brian Kelly, you need to do it for this recruiting class. It's stupid. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I mean, it is a tough situation when, you know, like everyone's getting on Brian Kelly for the way that well, he left. He, yeah, he, and, he, and, and, he, and, he, and he still exits terribly. He doesn't know how to exit. Right. And, he, and he's, part of it, he's not, he's not, he's not man enough. He's not man enough to exit in a manly way. He's just not. Right. And part of it is because of his past and what he did at UC. But I'll also say in his defense, not that I ever want to really be defending Brian Kelly, who, you know, killed a, a college student. He just at killed, one point. Just killed yeah. a kid. That's all. Yeah. Uh, but. There's no right way to do this. And you really can't control with leaks getting out. It's not like he can go out and publicize this stuff before it's done. And with the way news gets out in this era with social media and everything and everyone wanting to get that scoop out there, there's too many people that know about something this big scale at a school like that to where it's going to get out before he's allowed to tell anyone. And so that's going to make it crappy regardless. Now, is he good at handling it after the fact, scheduling a 7 a.m. meeting, going in, talking for two minutes, not taking any questions from anyone and just right. leaving on right. everybody? No, of course not. Like he still is, you know, a scum. But I don't exactly know how you can do it well at this point. Like no, there's really no, it, no good it, way to do this. And that's what's changed with this is 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 this 
whole change of the recruiting calendar has screwed this up. I just it's it's so crazy to think that a guy who's got a chance to have his team in the college football playoff that's the crazy takes part. off right. That's crazy. I again yeah. I get the money. I get all the reasons for it, but that just that doesn't that seems so. For Lincoln Riley, they're not even coaching his, you know, well, he's already got, I guess, done to coach, could have coached in a bowl game, but that's probably neither here nor there. Those are becoming less and less anybody cares about either. But I, it's just incredible to me. It's just incredible that they changed that recruiting calendar. Now, here we are with still a, a big portion of the season for some teams to play, wondering, is my head coach going to leave? And really, it, it affected one team that could be in the playoff and obviously the Luke Fickle situation. I think, though, and I was told last night, I think there's probably reports on this. I've not seen them, but I was told last night that 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 he has basically told Notre Dame, you're going to wait until I'm done if I'm even thinking about this. And I don't even think he's thinking. I think by them, Notre Dame's going to either do I think you're going to know one of two things about Notre Dame. If Notre Dame holds off on Marcus Freeman or Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, if they hold off on, on naming one of those guys full now, I think it means there is some real interest on both parties, Luke Fickle and Notre Dame, to, to get something done. Oh, there there has to be. I mean, very clearly, this is the obvious job for Luke Fickle to take if he's going to leave Cincinnati. The Catholic well, ties, a, the Midwest ties. Oh, hang on. Yeah, there, there's also some rumblings, though, of Ryan Day in the NFL. Oh, and he, and he would go back to Ohio State, you're saying? Correct. Correct. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State would be a good job that I'm sure he'd love to have as well. But Notre Dame makes a whole lot of sense if you're looking for a perfect landing spot and one that he might actually leave Cincinnati for. So it's obvious why everybody is concerned about this possibility. But if I'm Notre Dame, I would just go ahead and wait. Why, why can't you wait to one, find out like what if you see happens to lose to Houston, which I don't think is going to happen or what it happens no, right. if the committee right. decides to jump them on Sunday right. with Oklahoma state or something, I, then you can do which, it as soon I, as you want after yeah. that. That's right. That, which that's also right. comes back to the point of why couldn't LSU and Brian Kelly wait a, a couple more days like, because, the recruiting calendar. because of the recruiting calendar. That's but, all it came down to is, is they want Brian Kelly to salvage their recruiting class. That's what it is. I, I get that to an extent, but it's also it's Sunday, Saturday night, really. And you can have kind of a gentleman's agreement in place already. Dude, yeah, yes, you can. But, dude, he was in he was in a living room of a recruit on whatever night that was Monday night, about five minutes before kind of that news started to break. He was talking to a recruit for Notre Dame that night. So, well, I mean, the, yeah, the, I mean, for, for right. Notre Dame in air quotes. Yeah, in air quotes. That's a good point. But but uh, no, I mean, it's it's just because of that, that that that's changed it. But you know, um, but you know what sucks you. about that, though? I don't think it's going to change. I think it's going to get earlier and earlier because look at the teams that made their decision early. Look at USC. They made the right. decision earlier. They got rid of their coach. And what were they able to do? Pull Lincoln, Lincoln Riley Ryan. away from Oklahoma. Like you yeah. set yourself up with more time and you're able to be much more organized and much more aggressive and effective. I think if you do make that decision earlier, and I think everyone's going to see that. So I don't think this is a trend that's going anywhere. Yeah. I, I just, I, and I wish th this would have to be agreed upon by all the schools and you know, that's not going to take place because this is not an NCAA issue. But the NFL does have the rule of you can't if you're trying to hire a coach off of a staff, you got to wait till their their season is done. I think you can have, if I remember right, you can have conversations. You can't do formal interview process for sure until that team is out of the playoffs and and done with their season. And I kind of like that idea of it. I don't know how you do that in college because every school would have to agree to it. And as we know, every school is not going to agree to that. So I, I don't know the fix to this other than it just it sucks for all involved, other than the guys who are raking in the money. That's that's who it sucks for. Could you imagine being a Notre Dame player right now and all the BS that's been sold to you by your coaching staff over the years? And I'm not saying these guys shouldn't be taking these jobs for all this money. I'd be doing the same thing. And I get all, I get all that. It's a business. But still, 
it doesn't negate the fact that if you're a player who's been listening to all this buy-in and sacrifice for the team and all this, I love you stuff and all that. Coaches are a, jo- they're a joke. And then this guy just bails on you, not, not only before you play a bowl game period, but before you even find out if you got a chance at the college football playoff, which you kind of do right now. I, I can't even imagine what's going through any of those guys head that are on that team right yeah. now. It sucks. N- n- now, the, other, the only other thing I'll say about the Luke Fickle situation is this. You're never going to match Notre Dame money. We have to. We all know that part of it. But you are going to get Big 12 money in a few years, which is going to extend his contract significantly, be able to pay assistance significantly. And in the Big 12, other than, I mean, at Notre Dame, I, listen, I'm with you on Brian Kelly. He's a scumbag, but the dude can coach. He was a great coach at Central Michigan. He was a better coach at UC. He was an outstanding coach. Notre Dame's program, when he took it over, was in the dumpster. And he made it nationally relevant again. And I was in that category that thought, there's no way Notre Dame can come back to national relevance ever again. It's just not a destination place for kids. Well, he made it a destination place again and coached him up because he's a good football coach. That part I have to, to tip my cap to. Um, but it's still a hard place to win because your schedule's not easy. Um, you do get the ACC teams, the five each year, you get a chance to play. But, um, you know, as an independent, it's still kind of hard. You still have to to do a lot of things. You know, 11-1 and one at Notre Dame is really hard. And you can't go 10-2 and two at Notre Dame. The thing at, at, at UC is, you know, if he continues to recruit at the level he's recruiting, I, I think they're arguably the best team in the, in, the, in the Big 12 by the time they go into it. And again, you're not matching Notre Dame money, but you are going to get a significant bump because of the Big 12 money. And so, and listen, Notre Dame can spit you out quickly, man. We've watched them spit people out. Charlie Weiss, super genius, spit out. Tyrone Willingham, looked like a great hire for a year, spit him out. Um, it can spit you out pretty quickly. And so do you want the fact that, my goodness, dude, you could be a lifer here with still significant money rolling in each and every year and a chance in the Big 12 to do damage every year or fight as an independent having to play a brutal schedule um, with the expectations of Notre Dame and go through that? Maybe he does, and, and listen, uh, to each his own, uh, but I, I, I'm not fully sold that, that Luke Fickle has his eyes also. He'd be stupid not to listen. He'd be stupid not to certainly seriously consider it. But honestly, I could also see him saying, I think I'm good. Yeah, Dennis Dodd reported yesterday that Notre Dame is going to wait to talk to Luke Fickle, and Luke has made it clear that he's not interested in talking until his job is done at UC right now with the current state that his program is in, obviously. Which is which is a great for, I think, you know, we're talking about, it, he could do the exact same thing that Brian Kelly did, right? He really could, and good for him, because he's also doing the calculated risk of, I'm telling you guys, I'm going to wait, and if you don't wait, that's fine, you do you, I'll do me. Yeah. Uh, good for him. Well, and, and the thing is, he he can't lose in this situation because not only is he wanted by Notre Dame, but he's wanted by anybody who needs a coach this year or next year or the year after. Right. Too. I mean, that, that's the, that, that's the other part, Rick is this isn't just a one-time come along situation for him. I mean, there's going to be others that come open and he's still going to be a hot commodity next year and the year after, and probably the year after, even if UC goes in the tank and I don't expect that to happen. No, he's built UC into a place where they're going to continue to win. And even moving into the big 12, I mean, Lincoln Riley just left Oklahoma and they're, they're leaving for the SEC anyway, and who knows how much overlap right, there will right. actually be there. But, I mean, you could go in right away and compete in the Big 12 Absolutely, I think, even with Oklahoma, Oklahoma, with Oklahoma. if they're still there so, in Texas. With Oklahoma so. State and West Virginia, I mean, no, you're fine. You're going to be a top dog yeah. in, the pro, in, 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 the, in the league. And I do think, you know, I, I don't know if it's the big family part of it or, or what it is, but it does seem like he's just a little wired a little bit differently than 
some of these other guys. I'm not saying he's going to turn down a bunch of money or a chance at a dream job. And he shouldn't, he shouldn't be held to those types of weird moral standards that people assign to this stuff. But agreed. I I do think to a certain extent, there is something about him that seems a little bit different to where he might just say, you know what? I'm good here. I really like it. Everything's great. The people have treated me great. I know I'm, I can coach here as long as I want at this point with what I've already done. So I'm just going to stick it out and see how far I can take this thing. I, I do believe there might be some of that going on with Luke Fickle. So it's going to be interesting hey. to see. But if, if you're Notre Dame, could, could you maybe do like uh, while you're waiting, could you maybe just do like a sign in trade with Marcus Freeman saying, hey, Cincinnati, <laughs> we, we know you, you need to figure out what you're going to do. We really want Luke Fickle. We're going to take him from you eventually as soon as your season is over. But we'll lock up Marcus Freeman for you. And at the end, we'll just do a little swap here. How about that? Like, could, could yeah, you just no. do that? Yeah, and and listen, I mean, uh, that I think that would that would work out probably well too for everybody. For Marcus Freeman to become a head coach and and not be in the the the, the bubble of Notre Dame to come here. Um, now you are replacing a guy who's done some really special things, and that's really hard to replace a lot of times, right? Yeah, but you'd be doing the same thing at Notre Dame if you're Marcus Freeman. Yes, you know, if you're staying yes, there, it's going yes, to be yeah. probably even tougher. I I do think one thing about Notre Dame that makes it even more intrigued and like, you know, it's as good of a job as you can pretty much have in college football, but something that makes it even a little more enticing right now than it otherwise would be is if this thing does go to eight teams, the playoff Notre Dame will be in it every year automatically. Like right, right now it's difficult. And the fact that they don't have a conference championship game is working against them. But if you go to eight teams that works in their favor and they're in I'm going to say 70 to 80% of the time. Yeah, no, yeah, it probably right. But again, going 11 and one against that schedule yearly, I think is extraordinarily hard. Who's to say 10 and two doesn't get them in at that point when well, you maybe, go to right. and, and, and that's a good, and that's a good point. That's a, that's a good point. And, and you mentioned it, they have no conference championship game. So Rick, and we're going to talk about this in a second. Well, I'll, I'll wait till that segment till we get the college football playoff talk. Cause, Cause I've got a take on, on the Notre Dame UC situation in that regard. Well, is there anything else you want to get to in turn? I mean, there's no, no there's no, no interest from Luke Fickle to go to yeah, Oklahoma, right? Yeah, there's right. no chance no, that's not, going to happen. Not, it's Notre not, Dame or not, bust. Not in my think. opinion. Yeah, yeah, not in my opinion. I, I don't see that. I think it is Notre Dame or bust. Or again, if he hears rumblings of Ryan Day in the NFL, maybe he goes, "Thank you, Notre Dame." No, and I just kind of sit chilly for that to maybe take place. That's the thing. We really shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves based on what's already occurred just this week. I mean, when we were talking about what jobs or what coaches might be available, no one was ever talking about Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma. That was never an option. We didn't think he was available. The the other thing you can parlay this into, if you're Luke Fickle as well, is, is the kind of Mel Tucker deal of give me 10 years guaranteed at this, as opposed to going to Notre Dame and give me five years. And listen, if you go eight and four, seven and five, seven and five, which is conceivable against the schedule you play, Maybe after five years, they go, Luke, that's enough. We've had enough. I mean, do you want to take the bird in the hand or the bird in the bush? I mean, give me the 10-year guaranteed. I think I'd take that every time at a place where I've already built something and can continue to build something. Well, and I correlate that into that. I know I've heard some people locally talking about UC just doesn't have that type of money right now to offer not, them, not yet. even though That's they're right. going to the Big 12. But the thing you can do is you can get creative with this stuff and offer them, mm-hmm. offer them guaranteed money, but just make it deferred. Make it down, down the, the road. line. Exactly. Give yourself exactly. more time to pull the donations together, but then also invest some of that money. And it can multiply on itself a little bit for down right. the road That's when right. you're trying to pay him. And I think he's a, a smart guy that'll understand that. You know, it's not changing your lifestyle a whole lot to go from a handful of million to 10 million. Uh, but it 
you, you will want that money guaranteed down the line at some point. Exactly. So exactly. I, I think you can be creative about this if you're UC, knowing that some of that Big 12 money is coming and what you're able to offer Luke right now. So we'll see what happens. I don't think it's over. I don't think it's a done deal that he's going to Notre Dame yet, but you have to admit that it does seem like the perfect storm finally. No, it does. Absolutely. No, absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and get to the college football playoff because the rankings were released Tuesday night. Georgia and Cincinnati remained at number one and number four. Michigan jumped up to number two after the win over Ohio state and Alabama fell to number three. Oklahoma State sits at number five right now, and Notre Dame is six. Ohio State is currently at seven. So it would seem, Skinny, that no one after Notre Dame really is in play to jump into the top four seeds this weekend, right? Unless there's complete and utter chaos, a Michigan loss, an Alabama loss, which is conceivable, a UC loss, an Oklahoma State loss. Then suddenly we've got a bunch of two losses you've got to start sorting out. And a a one-loss UC to sort out at that point. How concerned should UC fans be about Oklahoma State jumping them, in your opinion? The only thing I'm concerned about now is them jumping to five because I I, I said it, and I'm going to stand by this. If they win, they're in. I'm, I'm going to stand by it. And I, you know. Who, UC? My own opinion. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, the only thing that scares me a little bit is th- they did not rate the Big 12 very highly to begin with, right? Remember they had Oklahoma when they were undefeated at, what, eight or nine in the first one? And that Correct. almost told me that they didn't think much of the Big 12. And suddenly they now have leapfrogged Oklahoma State ahead of Notre Dame. Because if Notre Dame was 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 there, Notre Dame's already, their, their resume's done. Um, so th- they're complete. And that's where, you know, I don't even have fear if UC were to lose and a bunch of chaos were to happen that Notre Dame would leapfrog UC because UC still has the trump card to play, which is the head-to-head win at their place, in my opinion. I guess the thing that worries me a little bit is Oklahoma State's suddenly there at number five. It's, it's almost poised for them to go... Sorry, UC, Big 12 trumps you. Have a good day. That That's the only thing that worries me a little bit. But again, you didn't think much of an undefeated Big 12 team in your opening rankings. Well, what and, suddenly do you love about a one-loss Big 12 team? And that's exactly right. And that's why it would be ridiculous and totally hypocritical for them to jump Oklahoma State based off of the, the back of a couple of wins over Baylor and a win at home over Oklahoma where you barely squeaked by them, basically. Which, again, and you didn't think much of Oklahoma. Remember that, the first ranking? You didn't and, think highly of them. And, and by the way, why was Oregon always in the college football playoff? Because they had the best win, right? They had the win right. over Ohio right. State. At Ohio State, they That's had right. the best win. Well, if you're looking at the resumes between Oklahoma State and Cincinnati, guess who has the best win still, even if they beat Baylor again? Cincinnati right. over and Notre Dame at Notre Dame is still the best win between those two teams. That That is correct. And guess what the one team also has in the right-hand column at that point? A zero. A big fat zero. Yeah, a big fat zero still. And that still should mean something. And I do think, I mean, I, I you know, we're, 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 we always hypothesize about these things. I do think Alabama loses to Georgia, and I think they get bumped out anyway. Um I think it's in play for Michigan to lose to Iowa. I don't think that's happening. If I were to predict right now how this all shakes down, because I think those two scenarios are very very possible. I think it's Georgia 1 with some chaos here happening. UC 2, Okie State 3, Notre Dame 4. Oh, so it'd be UC Oklahoma State. Yep. As your first round. I mean, that's got to be ideal if you're a UC fan, right? You think? You think? A little precursor Big 12 matchup? Come on now. Well, not to mention the fact that in terms of who seems the most beatable at this point, it's any of the Big yep. 12 teams. Yep. And again, I'm not too far. Fa- Listen, hey, Michigan proved proved me dead wrong. Um, to the, to Jim Hart, I mean, they've had a Same. hell. They're they're a blown lead to Michigan State away, and we both think Michigan State's pretty damn good. So, um, kudos to them. 
but you're coming off that finally beating Ohio State. And what a big burden off your back. And Iowa just plays so tight conservative. I don't like them a lot of times because they always do it to you where you think, boy, I was really good this year. And then they stumble in some game like they did to Purdue this year where you're like, they can't even get out of their own damn way with their physical up front. They can run the football a little bit. They got a nice defense. Again, human nature being what it is. I know it's a Big Ten championship game, but I think for Michigan players, you can imagine their Big Ten championship game occurred when, Rick? Last week. Last and week. And they won it. So They popped the bottles. Yep. So, I mean, that that's in play in my opinion. And I just don't think Alabama has any chance again. Well, I shouldn't say any chance. I just don't think they're they're on par with Georgia. Georgia's steamrolled everybody. Yeah, Alabama I can't wait to see on. that game, though. I, I mean, can't it, either. I can't either, and, and you know Nick Saban is so damn good in those situations that you can't ever count him out, nor should I, nor will I. I just think Georgia's superb. They, they don't do anything wrong. I agree, and I think Georgia is far and away the most talented team. When you watch them, they just jump off the TV compared to some of these teams that they're playing, even in the SEC. But it's still sort of a weird quarterback situation where I don't think they're overly talented at that spot. And but he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make he doesn't. mistakes. He's JT, very solid, he but I. But again, I don't think they're overly talented. I don't think Kirby Smart is aggressive enough all the time, especially in a big game, which they've been in control of pretty much every game this year. I want to see yeah, them. Other, other, than the, other than the Clemson game, but they were kind of in control of that because Clemson was never going to score if they played for another month. Well, that, that that's the thing. That game was so early in the year, we didn't even know what Clemson was yet. They probably could right. steamrolled them, but they were worried about Clemson being Clemson. So they were being... Yeah, that's right. No, that, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good yeah. point. If too. you played that game three weeks later, I think they probably beat them by 30 points. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Knowing how they could have attacked them. But yeah, I, I... Which now which now brings me back to Kentucky. It always does, Rick, because now I'm really pissed <laughs> Here off. Here we go. Now, because they actually... Kentucky played them in the league as well as anybody played them. And if they don't only, and they're, I think they were 23rd this week. And not, not that that, I don't even know why, I don't even know why they ranked through 25. I know it's for some of the bowl matchups, I guess. I still don't know why they do that. Nobody cares outside of the top eight usually, because that's about all that have a fighting chance to get in yeah, at the end. They should rank to 10. But, but I'd love to see, honestly, I, 11, if Kentucky was 11 and one with the one loss to Georgia in a pretty good battle, Georgia was better. I mean, they were clearly better, but they didn't, steamroll them. Kentucky hung around for a while. They did get that late score that everybody thought was garbage, although they did drive 22 plays, 80 yards against the ones. So that was still pretty, pretty solid to put. I would have loved to have known what an 11-1 Kentucky would be, where they would be ranked at the moment. You'd have to have them in. You'd have to have them close. I, I mean, they wouldn't to... be in over Cincinnati and they wouldn't be in over me. I think they'd be in that Oklahoma State Notre Dame territory at this point because Notre Dame's at six with the one loss being to Cincinnati. At that point, Kentucky's one loss is to Georgia. What could have been for you, Skinny? What could have been? I know. I know. Anyway, I got, I'm sorry. I, I, I no, try, I got one I more question there. for you about this whole situation, though, because we did hear uh, Gary Barda or whatever his name is mention the idea that, well, Notre Dame doesn't have their coach anymore, sort of saying that Notre Dame would be docked for them not having Brian Kelly. Do you think that's fair? Should they be punished no. by the College Football Committee for no longer having their head coach? No, because this is not about predictive Circumstance. This is not predicting down the road or anything. You're trying to do it on what is. And what is is 11-1 Notre Dame with the one loss to Cincinnati. Again, shouldn't be in at the moment, but with a little chaos ahead of them, yes, and their coach shouldn't matter. That shouldn't make any hill of beans different. Your resume should be your resume. It sh Listen, we've talked about this. I could put Cincinnati up against Baylor and tell you that Baylor wins. I could put Cincinnati up against Michigan State and tell you Michigan State wins. Hell, I could put you up at Cincinnati against Kentucky and tell you Kentucky wins. But 
that's not what the resumes tell me. The resumes tell me right now Cincinnati is better. And so, in, and Notre Dame in this case, their resume is what it is. 11-1 with one loss to Cincinnati. That coaching thing should not matter. It should be what is your resume. That's it. Now, granted, I, I'm, that's not to say that Notre Dame should be in or that they're they're probably not going to really have a chance either way, assuming everyone wins out for the most part. But it is just the the idea from a philosophical perspective of we're probably going to see this again. This isn't going to be the last time right. we see a coach right. leave with a chance at the playoffs. And it's just like, what happens when you're a team that is going to make the playoff or should make the playoff and your coach leaves the week before? Should that really impact your chance? And I'm kind of with you that it seems like it's it's BS and it shouldn't be part of it because you've already got your resume in place and it's more about the players than the coaches in a lot of ways. But, you know, we look at the NCAA tournament. We do factor in if a star player gets hurt at the end of the season, he's not going to be available. We do factor that in. It's kind of similar in that regard. I mean, the coach does matter. A, a little bit. I mean, the Kenyon Martin injury is obviously the one that clearly comes to mind for everybody, right? Because of of, of cost you see a one seed that year. But um, there's been and, a and but I, there's been a bunch of them in recent. I mean, it's really ramped up in recent memory of how they handle that too. They really seem to factor those injuries in a lot more than they used to. Yeah, no, I you're you're, you're right. Um, but you're talking about five players, and you take a star out, and and I get a little bit of that. I I, I know I'm probably absolutely contradicting myself here. Um, a head coach leaving when you got the two coordinators in place and the players in place, that shouldn't matter to me. That doesn't matter. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter to me. I I think your resume is your resume. I'm kind of leaning towards your side of things that that seems to be the more fair way to do it in football, especially with this situation. But I do think it matter. I I do think it makes a difference that you're not going to have your head coach for no other reason than what's everyone's mindset going to be when this guy who's supposed to be your leader just bailed on you all, you know, you know, in a lot of ways, maybe some people will just rally against him kind of be like F it. It's us against the world now and have kind of more of an insular mindset. But I also think there's a chance for chaos and for everyone to be like, man, that, that really sucks that we just lost that guy who was supposed to be uh, the one leading us out there. So no, you're right. Again, I don't think it's going to be something that's going away anytime soon. Well, obviously, for him to speak that, which I or it d- does tell you that they are thinking that, and I don't yeah. think they should. I don't either. And again, I don't think it's going to matter in Notre Dame's case this year, but it could at some point for someone else. I don't think it takes a whole lot of chaos for them to be be talked about in the mix, though. No, I mean they're right out, oh, right oh, out. Although, although, although at that point, um, at that point, if Michigan were to lose, Bam were to lose, and let's just say Oki State were to lose, they're all two lost teams at that point. I think at that point it's a moot point. You have to slide Notre Dame in. You just have to. And then you f- sort out the two lost teams and figure out which one of that that group should get in. Right. That's kind of the, the way I looked at it, too, is I don't think it's really going to matter for Notre Dame. Either they're obviously in or they're obviously out. With right. Or yeah, yeah. And, that, and I think Brian that's right. Kelly, I think so. that's exactly right. Yeah. I think but that's exactly again, right. in a future year, I have a feeling that this is going to come back into play at some point. So it was just inter- an interesting thought exercise, I guess. I, I will tell you, man, this weekend is going to be just crazy intense to watch. It is. I mean, you talk about clenching your butt cheeks for yep. 12 hours. If you're a UC fan, man, this would, uh, this would be a brutal day. You get, you just got to hope you're winning by about seven touchdowns at halftime. So you don't have to sweat. Yeah, the but just take, out right. And just take, and just take a deep breath. I don't foresee that taking place. No, I don't think right. so either. We'll talk more about our predictions coming up, but let's get yep. to some NFL talk. First, the Bengals are coming off a convincing 41, 10 win over the Steelers on Sunday. If the season were to end today, Cincinnati at seven and four would be the fifth seed in the AFC and would take on the Chiefs as the four seed in the first round of the playoffs. Skinny, where do you think the Bengals stack up in the AFC North? Should they be considered the top team? 
No, I think Baltimore still is, even though they beat Baltimore at Baltimore. I mean, they still have the better record. So that when you got that game in hand, the Bengals do have the tiebreaker advantage. And you do get Baltimore here. They're going to get a chance to prove it. That's the good part. You're going to get a chance to prove who the AFC North champion is. And that's what I think that the second half of the schedule, and they, the players talked about it. Zach Taylor talked about it. And you can argue that they're just trying to speak it into existence. But during the bye week, it was the whole, yeah, you lost two in a row, but they all kept talking. Our destiny is in front of us. We control it. We, you know, we got a chance to play seven AFC games and all of our North Division opponents again. And lo and behold, they now have the second best record in the AFC as far as conference record goes. They're five and two, and the Patriots are six and two. So you're kind of controlling your own destiny for just about everything. The North, the one seed. I mean, as goofy as that sounds, that's still very much in play. So yeah, you can you got a chance to go seize this whole thing. And let's see if they're good enough to do it. The way they played the last two weeks makes me believe that they are. Well, and that's actually probably the more interesting conversation is what about the rest of the AFC? Where do they really stack up in regards to these other teams? And it's so bunched together this year. There are no Patriots of the past or even the Chiefs the last couple of years where they clearly look more talented than everyone else and are kind of going to steamroll. And it's more a matter of can someone pick them off in the playoffs? This year, it feels pretty wide open at the top. And with the way the Bengals are playing I guess here's here's the best question of that. Do you think there are any bad matchups for them in the AFC? I don't. No. I the, the Chiefs, if they if they get their act together up front and they've started to get a couple of guys back on defense, that's the one to me, just because the dude at, at quarterback is so special. And well, they still have and mobile quarterbacks team. have given them trouble too. Yeah. That that's the one team I I think for anybody if if you were to give me a team and say hey you get to, you get to pick one team to bet on to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC my money is squarely going on Kansas City I, I I'm not even I'm not even debating where else to go with my money at this point it's squarely going on Kansas City there I, I still think they went through some injury issues on defense they went through some offensive line issues up front they haven't been near as explosive but that potential's still there and they're getting a little healthier and you know you look up and they were they felt like they were kind of a little bit dead in the water it and seemed you know, like they were now, out of it yeah now you look up and they're a game on top in the AFC West and starting to play pretty good um and and I again I, I don't want to knock the Patriots for this but when you look at their their winning streak here of late they beat the Jets this is a good win at the Chargers. I'm going to give them that. They won at the Panthers. They beat the Browns when the Browns were a mess, and they beat them at home. They beat the Falcons, and they just beat the Titans when the Titans were a mess. Now, I will say, they've also won by some staggering margins. The last four by 18, 38, 25, 23. They don't feel dominant. They don't look dominant, but they've been winning by dominant scores. But their stretch of games coming up, they got at the Bills, at the Colts, Bills at home. That's going to tell me a little bit more about what this Patriots team is all about. Well, they're living off the turnover a little bit, too, yeah. on both sides of the ball. And by the way, doing that with a rookie quarterback and a defense that had some question marks is impressive. So, I mean, it is. No, you, it is very you much tip so. your cap to Belichick and everything. But you can also factor in some of that might be a little luck. They might get, be getting a little smoke and mirror. So that that could contribute to why, you know, they don't look all that dominant, but they are still winning these games and by some impressive margins. But I, I go on the other side of it with the Chiefs, too, and it's like, What's scary to me about the Chiefs is they've won these last four games in a row and they haven't looked great to me, especially the offense doesn't look like it's quite clicking like you think of Pat Mahomes and the way they had been scoring the last couple of years, but they're winning games with defense. If their offense gets back on track to where it can get to, and you know with Mahomes, it's more a matter of time probably and, and them getting the guys in front of him right. 
they're going to be a monster. You're right. That's the team that scares me the most for the Bengals, too, would be the Chiefs. And guess what we're going to see, though? We're going to see that matchup in a few weeks in, in Paul Brown Stadium. So maybe it's a precursor for what's down the line. Like I said, right now, if you were to stop it all, they'd be paired up. I don't think that's the way it's going to end. No, I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. But I mean, it is interesting to look at. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't think that's the best matchup for the Bengals. But there isn't a team in the AFC that is heads and shoulders above everybody else. And there's not a team that I think you you look at and you say, oh, that would be a a nightmare for the Bengals. Or that's a team that's a, a real problem for them, especially given what they've already done to Baltimore at Baltimore. That's right. No, because that would have been one of the teams that scared me the most, to be honest. Yeah. And we're going to see that matchup again. Let's see how they handle it. Um, You know, other than the, if I were to, and you can't do this in the league, obviously, but if I were to take those two ugly losses before the buy away resume looks pretty damn good. Otherwise, does it not? It does. It's actually impressive. And like you said, it's two weeks in a row and you have the, the one really bad one in there with the jets to where it's just like, yes, it's hard to forget how that looked. I, I keep it going is. back to I your mean, point. It is. I keep going back to your point from last week, though, too. It's like, go find me the team this year in the NFL who doesn't have that, who doesn't have an inexplicable loss, who doesn't have that game where they just look terrible. Now, not everyone has two in a row necessarily, but most of them have at least two throughout the season already. And so right. that two week stumble doesn't sting nearly as much now as it did a couple weeks ago. That's for sure with the way they played. And let's face it, we have recency bias on everything. And our recency bias going into the buy was, uh oh, we've seen this story before. This is not going to end well. Well, the recency bias is that the buy did them some good for whatever reason. They we talked about this on the on the post game podcast. They've gone back to the run game. They've 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 really been dominant in that regard over the last six quarters. I mean, you take that second half against the Raiders, and then well, really the first three quarters before you started putting in subs. About a five quarters, you know. A f- Five-quarter stretch, Joe Mixon ran for 247 yards on 47 carries over a five-quarter stretch. That's not bad. And then Joe Burrow just goes Joe Burrow just goes 20 of 24. I mean, that's all. Not throwing swing. This is no knock on Ken Anderson because I love Ken Anderson. But Ken Anderson went, and I was at the game as a kid, once went 20 of 22 against Pittsburgh. And I swear, running back Doug Dressler from Chico State caught about eight swing passes out of the backfield. It still got to complete him, and that's he was so good at those passes. But, I mean, some of Joe Burrow's throws were 15-yard deep ins and uh, a deep ball to T. Higgins, which T. Higgins made a play on. But still, 20 of 24, that's pretty efficient, man. Uh, Right now, I'm looking at this offense going, how do you stop it? And that's crazy to think, right? How do you stop it? Right now, they're deciding, we're going to run it. We're going to set the pass up with the run because of that. Now, defenses, now the Chargers got to decide this week, do we put eight in the box and don't let them run it and... Maybe this week it's back to the Jamar Chase show again because teams have to go one-on-one. And if not, if they put seven in the box and decide to roll coverage to Jamar Chase, now you're one-on-one with Tyler Boyd and you're one-on-one with T. Higgins. And defenses right now are at a big pick-your-poison area with this with this offense. Yeah, I, I think earlier in the year, you saw teams say, we're going to make Joe Burrow beat us deep. He hasn't proven he can do that yet. This offense hasn't proven they can do that yet consistently. We're going to sell out, put eight guys in the box, try to stop Joe Mixon, try to stop the short stuff. And they did a good job of that. The Bengals, it seemed like at times were trying to establish that run game and running on second and long and doing some weird conservative things to, to maybe try to get Joe Mixon going, but it just was so predictable and everyone was already selling out to stop it that it wasn't working anyway. And they were getting bailed out late in the first half by Jamar Chase bombs down the field. And then in the second right. half, they would do some more of that. And it was working enough. And then teams started saying, all right, we can't keep giving up all these long balls to Jamar Chase. We're going to start playing back, have some extra safety help, play too too high, whatever. And all of a sudden, the Bengals are now killing teams 
with the run and, and Joe Mixon and some underneath stuff and Tyler Boyd and T Higgins are getting more involved yeah. again. So I think you're also seeing that exact thing, Skinny, that teams are having to pick and choose what they're going to do. And that's a very simplified way of saying it all. It's not, you know, too schematic or X and OE, but overall that seems to be what's happening. And I don't think there's a right way to play this offense now. No, and I think when they went, the other thing they did with the run game was getting Joe Burrow under center, which allows Joe Mixon to run downhill in that wide zone scheme where he can pick his gap. And a lot of credit goes to the offensive line. They've got to get push movement, um, create whatever seam, a seam here or a seam there. But they're doing that, and, and Mixon is so good at gumming downhill, planting a foot in the ground, making the proper cut, great vision, all of those things. I think a lot of, early in the year was a lot of his run, not a lot of his runs, but a good chunk of his runs out of the shotgun where he's running from a standing start, and you can't do much wide zone in that regard. I mean, you can, but it's it, it's just it's not as effective as him running downhill, seeing things open up with vision. It, he's just better. It's, it's, it's literally like an I formation tailback without a fullback. You're spreading people out with three wide receivers or, or bunching more guys up at the line of scrimmage with two tight ends or three tight ends. It's just, it's a better look for them and it's more efficient in the run game. That's the other part. It's, it's one thing to say, we're going to run the ball, but I think they've gone back to running the ball with Burrow under center and mixing downhill. And then the play action is just so damn effective off of that. Good luck to you. Good luck stopping this team. They've scored over 30 points, five of their last six. I don't think that's by accident. No, and we'll talk more about how much they're going to score this weekend because I'm yes, uh, we I'm very interested in that total for them and the Chargers. So let's uh, stop and talk about college basketball real quick first, though. It was somewhat of a rough week for our local teams this past week. Xavier, Cincinnati, and KU all suffered some losses. Xavier went 2-1 and one with a win over Norfolk State, an 82-70 to 70 loss to Iowa State in Brooklyn, and a 59-58 win over Virginia Tech in Brooklyn. Cincinnati went 1-2 and two with an impressive 71-51 win over Illinois, but then dropped two straight to Arkansas, 73-67, and Monmouth, 61-59. And NKU dropped a close one at the buzzer to Western Illinois, 69-67, and then went to DePaul and lost by 9-77-68. Skinny, rank the team's weeks from most concerning to least concerning. Hmm. Boy, that's a good one. Least concerning to me would be Xavier because they're going to get Zach Fremantle back. And they found a way to win a game when nothing else went right. And Nate Johnson threw 30 in. And the loss to Iowa State, I'm not trying to make an excuse for this, but they had a bunch of dudes sick. I think you and I talked. I didn't even know Paul Scruggs was playing sick, but he was. Um, I'm not completely exonerating him of a one for 14 shooting performance, but sometimes that has something to do with it. I'm going to go least concerning is Xavier. Next least concerning is is NKU because DePaul was in that mix. And I think for them in a one bid league, you're still just going to use this preseason to figure out what we are, who we are, what my rotation is, what we do best, what we don't do best. And it's going to show up and that's good. And I think these two games this week is going to help because it's going to show you, all right, what do we need to do inside the conference and then get a chance to go back out for a few games, work on some of that stuff, go back into the conference. And most concerning would be UC. And I, I say that only because I think what the Monmouth game showed is there are going to be nights where they just they just don't score enough and they just don't have enough scores or the go-to score that we talked about. They play super hard. They're going to hold teams defensively. They're going to do all of those things. But the ugliness of they just don't have enough offensive production is going to occasionally show up. Um, and it's not just because it was Monmouth. Uh, it just... That, that just seems like that's going to happen a few times this year. I'm not overly concerned only because I, I, I think they are going to... 
be in a lot of games that maybe they shouldn't be in, but they're also going to lose some games that maybe they shouldn't lose just because they don't have enough offense. So I'm, I'm going to rank them in that regard. Yeah, I, I think I would have flip-flopped NKU and Xavier. I mean, we're splitting hairs here, obviously. But yeah, I, yes, I, yeah. for NKU, part of it is just the fact that these games, to a certain extent, don't matter in the sense that you're not playing for uh, an NCAA tournament resume. You're just trying to get better. And the, the Western Illinois loss was a tough one, but I think overall they played fairly well against a pretty good team and they lost at the buzzer. And then DePaul, I actually was really encouraged by that because Marquez Warwick, broke out of whatever little slump he was in and played really right. well in that game and, and shot it well and scored well. And they were in it for most of the game, to be quite honest. It didn't, it wasn't really outside of 10 points for more than a handful of minutes in the second half. And then they closed that gap again before the final buzzer. And really when it came down to it, if they weren't playing against a team with six ten, six eleven, 10, right. long athletic right. dudes at the back end, they played better. I mean, their zone had DePaul confused. They didn't know what to run against it. NKU was making shots. They couldn't score inside against that length. They couldn't rebound inside against that length. And they couldn't stop it on the back end of their defense. But other than that, I thought they looked pretty good in terms of how they played overall. So, yeah, I thought it was actually almost an encouraging week from NKU, even though they went 0-2. And then with Xavier, you said it perfectly. I mean, the Iowa State loss was discouraging from the aspect of you saw some things that have been a problem in the last couple of years. And so everything at this point is related to that. And is Travis Steele good enough or not? But if really, if you just look at that as kind of a one-off bad game with guys who were sick the rest of the year, they've been pretty good at all those things that you were concerned about. Now there's the, the three point shooting is still an issue and it was an issue in that game. And it's been an issue all year. It wasn't much better in Virginia tech aside from Nate Johnson, just getting incredibly hot. It would concern me a little bit that you saw those things in Virginia Tech, or I mean, against Iowa State, excuse me, but then the fact that you were able to go on to Virginia Tech and get what is more than likely going to be a quad one neutral site win for your resume, that's huge right there. So if I were to ask you when they went to New York, would you be satisfied with one and one? What would you say? That that was the plan all along was one and one, in my opinion, but you thought Iowa State only won two games last year. There's no, they're not going to lose to them. But as it turns out, Iowa State then smacked Memphis the next night and is now ranked in the top 25. They're looking like a completely different team and partly because they are a completely different team. They have a new coach. They have like six transfers playing most of their minutes. So uh, we'll see what happens the rest of the way with Iowa State. That I don't think that's going to be a bad loss. It may not be a a good one, but it's not going to be a bad one, I don't think. And before you go on to UC – um, and now Xavier also has that Ohio State win in the in the in the in the in the resume bank. And how much better does that look after they beat Duke last night? It helps. Yeah, that that's definitely yeah. good because you're starting to get concerned about Ohio State and where they're at. It, it's going right. to be a tough year right. in the Big Ten. It's like, oh, is Ohio State just going to be middle of the road or maybe even worse here? But I never really thought that way because they were still getting Kyle Young back up to speed after he missed time. Right. Justice right. Suing didn't play against Xavier, and he's a big part of what they do. I think he might be their second or third most valuable player if you're really breaking it down. So uh, they're only going to continue to get better, I think. They're going to win a lot of games in the Big Ten, but that win over Duke is a massive one, and it definitely turns head and and helps some of the metrics overall for not just Ohio State, but Xavier too. So the issue with the UC week is you couldn't score against Monmouth, and you can chalk that up to one game bad performance, but I think that was everyone's concern coming into the year is that This team is going to struggle to score. There are going to be nights where they can't shoot. And that's exactly what happened here. It wasn't just one guy. It was everyone going one for four, oh, for six, one for seven from three. 
I, I think they were four for 30 or something like that from three overall for yeah. the game. And that's just, you're not going to have a chance to win when you shoot like that. I like David DeJulius a lot. And I've talked about him a lot the last two years where I think he needs to be their go-to guy. But in saying that, I don't know if he's talented enough to carry you on a consistent basis as your go-to guy. So it's going to have to be him and Jeremiah Davenport. And both of those guys, I love them both. I'm with you. You know me. I've touted Jeremiah Davenport since his molar days of what I thought he could be in college. But both those guys are just really good complimentary guys. That's what they are. Yeah, I feel like David DeJulius could probably be a really good number two. And maybe maybe that's Jeremiah Davenport, too. I always thought he was going to be a more of a role guy, and he's exceeded my expectations there. But I still don't think you want him to be your go-to scorer. And that might be the same thing with David DeJulius, or at least if, if David DeJulius is your go-to scorer, you better have another high-powered guy either in the post or on the wing to go with him. And I just don't think they have that. All right, Skinny, let's keep it rolling to our betting segment where uh, we both had a pretty good week last week. And somehow, some way, after all of these picks, we are tied up. Heading wow. into the final week of the college football season, we still didn't got we, more. Didn't we do this? Didn't running. we do this last year in basketball, or maybe it was we, in football? We did this. We actually tied, like actually, in football last year. I think that's crazy. and then in that's basketball insane. we were tied in one of the final weeks as well. And then finally, you you pulled away at the end. But uh, so, so can I give? Can I first off give you my bad beat of the week before we move on to this? Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. I, I made one real bet this weekend, and it was just on a whim. I was driving to go do a do a high school broadcast a high school game Saturday night. And I left my house a little early. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to put together a quick parlay just to have something to root for. 20 bucks parlay. And I had a five-teamer in my head. And this, this going into the, I walked in. I was going to zip in, zip out, make my wager, have something to root for at night. On my way back home, I was uh, all excited with it. So here's my five-team parlay I made, Rick. Kentucky on the money line. How'd that work out for me? Pretty good. LSU on the money line. How'd that work out for me? Pretty good. Pretty good. Kansas plus 15. Pretty good. UCLA minus six and a half. Pretty good. I'm um, drawing a blank on. I had one other winner, and I'm drawing a complete blank on who it was. I'll think of it here in a second. I, hang on. I, I'll look back on this. I, I had one more winner, and then I'll get you the one that, that cost me, because there's always one that cost me. Because right now, I've told, I've told you four games, right? I've given you four, and I told you I was going to make a five-teamer, right? So I had my five teams in mind when I walked. Oh, Oklahoma, plus four and a half. How'd that work out? I sweated it, but how'd that work out? It worked out. And so those were the five, that was the five teamer. And then as I'm punching the buttons, I went, oh, you know what? I kind of like South Carolina getting 12 and a half against Clemson. Oh, man. Don't do that, skinny. <laughs> Don't do that, skinny. You're right. Yuck. Such got an amateur greedy, move. Got, gr- got greedy when I saw the 20 to win, whatever the number was. I won't say it. Pop up. I went, ooh, that's pretty juicy. As opposed to well, a five teamer with two teams on the money line. That wasn't going to be pay me enough, apparently. Silly me. And I literally, as I'm drawing, like five teams. This is perfect. I got it. I got what I want. I love every. I, sometimes you know, you look at the board and you just love it, and you know yep. you're gonna. You sometimes just know you're gonna nail it. And I yep. knew it. I, there was not one game I didn't like that I what I like. I, what, one game where I went, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about. I don't Apparently, know about the that. South Carolina one. I should. I should. When I said I kind of like that, I shouldn't have done it because I didn't love it. Well, the only thing I can say for my betting weekend was I'm proud of myself for being disciplined enough not to put my honeymoon fund on the Buckeyes to cover the spread because I really wanted to and I was really tempted to. And uh, thankfully, I I did not. So we're still in good shape there. I just took my uh, two unit beating like uh, a man and and ate some carbs for leftover from Thanksgiving. So. (laughs) Thursday, Thursday, 820, we've got our NFL game. Cowboys at Saints. 
the Cowboys are four and a half point favorite. The total is 47 and a half. Yeah, I, I want to say the Cowboys, Cowboys are so squirrely. This is the kind of game they go kick the crap out of somebody. Um, Taysom Hill might quarterback New Orleans. Does that make a difference? I don't know. They're so beat up. They're such a mess. Uh, it's so hard. to. The thing is, Dallas, when they got all their stuff and, and, and they're focused in, they're so talented. They're going to score a ton of points on people. I don't think New Orleans is good enough to score points. I think the thing about Vegas is Vegas is good enough to score points. They shouldn't get 500 yards and 36 points at Dallas, but I think that's an indictment on the Dallas defense. I don't think New Orleans has even close to those weapons. So I'm going to go Dallas here, 31-20. So Dallas in the over for me. All right, so 31-20, Dallas in the over for you. I am going the opposite side of this completely. I think this is going to be a weird low-scoring game, and I like the Saints at home. I'm going Saints 24, Cowboys 21, so I've got Saints and the under here. By, by the way, if Dallas loses this game to go to 7-5 and five, and football team wins, football team's only game behind. How about football team if the, if the season end of the day would be in the playoffs as a wild card? Football team. I mean, just evading the their 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 owner continues to evade any repercussions from his weird harassment case, and they keep on ticking as a unit, man. They're yeah, yeah because you know what, Ron Rivera is really good. He's he I think he's a really good coach. All right, we've got uh, Saturday at 4 p.m. We've got the only college football game on our slate. It's Houston at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are a ten and a half point favorite. The total is fifty three. I'm going to go with the focused UC team. They've, they've lost that at times. They lost it a little bit at East Carolina again after they got the lead. And then they got the block field goal that kind of just erased anything. We've seen them. We've seen that. We've seen focused UC a couple of times over the last few weeks and focused UC kicked the crap out of SMU. I think we see focused UC. Um, you know, the fickle thing is not a distraction because he's kind of made it not. He's tried to make it not a distraction. I don't think it is. I think, you know, they at least know he's going to be there through whatever, wherever they go. College football playoff wise. I think that's probably yeah. an encouraging sign. I think his I guys believe it. in him when he says this stuff yes, right now. Ab- I think I it do, fires ab- them up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to go UC 38 20. So the Bearcats and the over for me. All right. Well, we're on the same side of here. I'm, I agree with everything you said. I think Cincinnati at least wins this by two touchdowns. In fact, that's where I'm going with it. I'm going to go 31-17. I was all over that UC score last week. I had UC scoring 35. I think it was I had it like 35-17 or 35-14 last week, something like that. So I was all over it. But Cincinnati and the under for me at 31-17. You're on Cincinnati and the over at 38-20. That takes us to Sunday. We've got- hang, hang on, though. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a two-team teaser. I'm going to take in college football this weekend all right who do you like i feel i feel good about it i'm taking georgia down to a pick them and i'm taking iowa up to 16 and a half i'm just gonna do a six point oh i love that yeah yeah the problem is the teaser odds i think have gone down this year they have and i and and, and i may honestly and what i may do then is actually take georgia down to two and a half and take iowa up to 14 maybe um, and make a two-team parlay because I'll get better odds at it. That's probably what yeah. I'll end up doing. But even still, it's just like, it. it you know, last year, it felt I like if done... you did a two-team teaser, you were getting basically normal odds for one game. Right. On, against right. The no, and now no, it's like minus 135 half the time. Yeah, I'm, 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 I, I 
I bet you this whole football season I've done no more than five to seven teasers. I haven't Same. done very many. I've I've hardly had any, and almost all of them have been at least three teams. So I mean the one the ones I've won this year have been manipulating the odds, you know, buying points down or buying points up in a parlay. So not taking it all the way down six or six Same. and a half, maybe taking it down three. Four. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it, it, it really doesn't depress the odds a ton, especially if you're doing a, a three or four or five team parlay. I've I, those are the ones I've I've made the scores on. Yeah, I've I've had some similar luck with those. Uh take us to Sunday NFL. Chargers at Bengals. Bengals are a three and a half point favorite, and the total is 50 and the hook. I, I got to tell you, I love the Bengals here. Um, I, I Listen, the Chargers are just so wildly inconsistent, which is not a good thing either because it means they are also good at times. I, I just think this is a good matchup for the Bengals, and the way they're playing right now, I think they, they have to feel uber confident. I feel uber confident. I'm going to go Bengals 31-21. So the Bengals and the – I love the over here. I think the over hits in a big way, to be honest. I'm probably even shortchanging the Bengals and even – I'll go 34-24 Bengals. How about that? We're, we're seeing this the exact same way. I think this is totally an overplay. I, I can't believe that it's only 50 and a half between these two teams because the Bengals are going to give up some points to the Chargers. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They are the exact type of offense that gives them some trouble. Herbert worries me because he'll get out there and, and roll around a little bit and move on this defense. And uh, th- this is totally an overplay the whole way, I think. I feel fairly confident in the Bengals side of it too. I'm going to go Bengals 37, Chargers 27. So I'm right there with you on the 10-point spread. Bengals and the over for both of us. Sunday night, 8-15, we've got Broncos at Chiefs. Chiefs are a 10-point favorite. The total is 47. Skinny, the, these big odds all year, it's been underdog city on these big double-figure odds. Do you like the Chiefs here? I don't. Um, you know, Den- Denver's still in the playoff hunt, and for whatever reason, they, they've they mustered a pretty decent season despite you know having all kinds of goofy injury stuff and you know letting Von Miller go with a trade. Um, and Kansas city still, I th- they're not quite right. And maybe this is their complete get right game, but Denver, I think hangs around in this one. I'm going to go Kansas city 27 Denver 20. So actually that's going to be Denver and the under for me. Yeah, we're actually on the same pick here. I like Broncos and the under as well. So looking at that under number, the chiefs have gone under in five of their last six games. The Broncos have gone under in five straight, and they've only hit the over twice this entire year. Yeah, that usually means that there's a correction coming. It it does, uh, but I don't like this as much as I like the Bengals over. But at 47, I like this underplay, especially with the way the Chiefs offense is kind of, I wouldn't say scuffling necessarily, but they haven't, you know, they scored 19 last week against Dallas. They scored 13 a couple weeks ago uh, against Green Bay. They had 20 against the Giants before that. Granted, they did score 41 against the Raiders in between there. But uh, for the most part, they've been a little bit quieter recently. I'm going to go Broncos in the under two, 23-14 the final. And, yeah, and even and even and even last week when Denver scored 28, they got seven on a, on a pick six of Herbert, too. So that was right. an offensive score. Right. So Monday, 8-15, we've got the Patriots at the Bills. The Bills are a two-and-a-half point favorite. The total is 43-and-a-half. And this is like totally the – do you take the more talented team and the team that seems like they should be better, or do you take the consistent coaching of Belichick and what you expect out of the Patriots at this point? No, I'm, I'm going to go with the Bills. It, it, it looked – unless I know New Orleans was a mess, but they just looked like the team that, that – 
I thought they can be, and they were at times this year. And maybe that's all Buffalo needed was just kind of get themselves back on track. Yeah, you could argue they they did that against the Jets and then stumbled badly at home against the Colts. Um, but I, I love the Bills here. I think I think the Bills send a message that hey, New England, it's not your division; it's still ours. I'm going to go Bills 34, Patriots 17. So that is Bills and the under over. or over, yeah, 51. Over, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I am on the other side of this. I'm going to go Patriots 24, Bills 21. So I'm on the over two, but I've got the Pats to cover here. It's a great Monday nighter, man. It's a it, great Monday night. It is. It's a fascinating game. It's also if you're the Bengals and you're looking at this matchup, it's I don't know who I would rather have the Bengals take. Well, on well, had, here, but, here's, but here's the thing. If the Bengals win this weekend and New England loses, the Bengals have the best record in the AFC conference wise. That's right. Not not overall, but conference wise. That's right. So the Bills can help them out there. But, yeah. you know, just looking down the road, like even in the playoffs, it's like the Bills and Patriots are such a weird dynamic between those two teams. I think they're both good. And they both worry me, but for completely different reasons. And I think I would rather play the Bills if I were the Bengals because I would be Ooh, much I more. Wouldn't. I wouldn't. They're not. Nah, Josh Allen's just too too good. Nah, I wouldn't. I'd rather play the Patriots. Rookie you feel back in his first. You do. feel good yeah. about Bill Belichick against Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo. I feel good about facing a rookie quarterback and not facing Josh Allen in the playoffs. That's what I feel good about. Mm. And Mac Jones has been really good. I get I get that side of it, but man, I don't know. It would concern me if the Bengals were to go up against Belichick in the playoffs. All right, time for some Ask Skinny Anything. We'll start with some Bengals questions here. We've got actually a a lot of this is Bengals stuff, but we'll start here. Given the way the Jamar Chase decision has worked out, overall draft results from this year, McPherson in particular, and overhauling the entire defense in one offseason, should Duke Tobin be up for executive of the year? Um, It's funny you say that. He probably should except he's not really the GM. So it would technically, we, we actually, it's funny, a, a bunch of us who cover the team, we debated this a couple of weeks ago, actually. Would this be a Mike Brown award? I mean, as goofy as that sounds. Yeah, how does that work? I don't know, because he's technically or not can the, the Bengals just he's, not even win, win that award because they don't have the position? Yeah, I, that's a great question, but I'll give Duke credit because I banged on him for some drafts and some off seasons. And listen, I still don't know if it was all him doing all of that. And I still don't know if it's all of him doing this. If it's, hell, maybe Zach and his staff are really good evaluators too. Yeah. But somebody deserves credit for this. And there's no question. This isn't just this draft. It's the last two drafts have been really good. Well, and I mean, you got, you got out of last year's draft and one was easy, right? The, the number one but, guy was, but you still could have messed that up. I mean, there was some level of debate after the fact of Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and they love Justin Herbert, the senior bowl. But listen, it sounds like it was an easy pick and it probably was. It was in fact, I think Zach answered that this week that it was, you know, when they were evaluating, they didn't get a chance to see Joe Burrow throw live, but he said, we th- saw every Joe Burrow throw on tape and it became more about Joe Burrow and not about what we had with Justin Herbert at the senior bowl. So, it, you got T Higgins, right? You got Logan Wilson, right? I mean, that's that right. There's a home run. And then this year's a home run. Yeah. If Duke Tobin is eligible for this award or he can win it, I think he probably deserves it for this year because it's an award based on this year. Yeah. yeah, I'd also look at it from the perspective of the reason they were able to overhaul this stuff and they needed to overhaul it so much is because they were so bad at trampling and putting together a roster in years past. And he was a big part of that too. So, you know, it's like, I was talking about this yesterday with a friend that the Bengals in a lot of ways, okay. Yeah. You were the worst team in the NFL and you get to pick number one overall, but you're lucky. It was the year Joe Burrow was coming out. What if you were picking yeah. first overall and you need a quarterback this year with this no, year's that's draft? Right. 
you feel good about any of those guys coming out? Of course, you no. know. I mean, so it's just no. It's a t- some of this is just a lot of luck, and, and that's the way it's supposed to go. And for so long, it felt like the Bengals never got those fortunate things to happen in their favor. And now all of a sudden, it's like you get Burrow, you make the right call on Jamar Chase. A, a lot of things have fallen into place here, and some of them they deserve credit for. Some of it was just they really sucked at the right time. But I think another underrated part of this is. And I laughed about it some earlier in the season, especially when the offensive line didn't look great. But Frank Pollock has made a world of difference, I think, yeah. with this offensive yep. line and get him to be satisfactory, at least in the passing game and even better than that in the running game. And Luana Ruma deserves some credit, too. Yeah, no, agreed. And, you know, but but I think back to your point of, of the executive thing, some of this was was that they had to do it. But it was also you've made some good signings. Listen, I was not a big DJ reader guy just because of the money. Right. I think he's a good player. I didn't like the money, and I'm on the record for that. But him and Ogunjobi have been great. And, yeah, I know Ogunjobi's on a one-year deal, but, listen, this is a one-year league sometimes. So if you don't resign him, that's fine. He's been great for this year. And guess what you can do? you got another offseason to play with uh, to, to try to fix a couple of these. The, the good part is on offense right now, Rick, as you go into the next offseason, <coughs> you don't have a ton of holes. You probably have right tackle you're going to have to address. But other than that, you don't have a ton. You probably need – you probably need to address center too, but again, you don't have a ton of holes and you got all these guys signed. Burrow's still on a rookie deal. Mixon's going into year three. Tyler Boyd signed. Higgins is on his rookie deal. Chase is on his rookie deal. Uzama's still signed for another year or two. Um, and, and yeah, again, you're going to probably have to go to the free agency portal to get yourself a, a tackle. Um, and that's fine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on record of that. I'm not a big plug rookies in and go. I'm a big, let's get guys who got proven NFL tape. Um, doesn't mean you don't have to draft guys and develop them, but if I'm going to plug somebody on a team, I'm going to plug a proven vet. And on defense, you're not going to wind up with a lot of holes. You're just not. Um, you can franchise tag Jesse Bates. You you know you're probably going to lose Ogan Joby, but okay. So I'll go find me another tackle. And that that no offense, that's probably an easier position to plug and play somebody. And who knows? Maybe Tyler Shelvin. And this is a red shirt year for him, and he plays that 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 role next year um, up front as a tackle. So, yeah, I think they're positioned really well, too. That's the other thing, and, and kudos to them, because it tell, that shows you when you've hit on a couple of draft classes, the holes aren't as glaring, and instead of going and getting seven free agents that you have to do, which you got to then spread the money out, you can identify on one or two or three and go, need that guy and need that guy and need that guy, and we can spend on those guys, and we're good. This may be a stupid thing to say because he's a rookie who hasn't proven a single thing yet in any way, shape, or form. But Joseph Osai feels like such a big what if to me right now. Totally for forgot. Team. Totally forgot. Good point. Yeah. You know, what if he is what he kind of looked like he might be in the preseason, which is a, a wrecker at the defensive end? And just even if he's a little undisciplined and you can't play him all the time, just a guy that on third down situations where you pin in your ears back, he could just go make some plays and get after a quarterback. That's something that would – they're pretty good right I, now. They're okay right now at it. But if you had a guy that was special to put opposite Trey Hendrickson right now, that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I, I think the plan all along on Nichols was was for Osai and Hendrickson to be at the ends and Hubbard and Ogunjobi to be at the tackles. I'd love to see um, that. And I will give credit because B.J. Hill now is kind of feeling – because now they're leaving Hubbard at the end, which makes sense. Yeah, uh, B.J. Hill's been really and solid. B.J. Hill's done a pretty good job rushing the pass. He's third of this team in sacks, and he's created a few more pressures on top of it. Um, so he's filled that role nicely. But, man, you're talking about – and you're not going to have Ogan Joby next year. But kicking Hubbard down to a tackle with his length in the middle sometimes and just getting hands up yeah, with his and speed. he's taking a step forward with his playmaking yep. and – 
Yeah, and, yeah. and, and Hendricks has just been so dang, dang on consistent. I, the thing to me is, it's one thing to rack up a bunch of sacks, right? But sometimes you go back and you look and you go, hey, he got three against that team because they were terrible, and he got two there, and he got two more there, and he went three games without. Hendrickson goes every game, sack, sack, sack. And the last two games have been impactful sacks. Um, and there was a great stat, and I used it in my, my fifth quarter piece, Rick. Um, if you look at his raw stats on Sunday, it shows two tackles, one sack, two quarterback hits. doesn't sound like a lot, right? But according to Next Gen Stats, he forced three turnovers. The two pressures on the inter- led to the two interceptions, or at least he pressured him into those interceptions, and then the strip sack. Talk about impact in a game now. You are you're you had a hand in forcing three turnovers? You're not kidding. Uh, Skinny, where does this year rank in terms of your enjoyment of covering the Bengals? Uh, I'm not, I, I don't. The NFL is just such a grind. I, I Somebody asked me this the other day. I don't enjoy it a ton. I just don't. Um it's just, it is, it's just a grind. I mean, literally it feels like I wake up and it's Wednesday and here we start our week all over again. Um, and it is, it's just, and I'm, nobody needs to feel sorry for me. I cover the NFL for goodness sakes, but I also have to run a website on top of it and do other things. So it, it becomes a bit of a grind. Um, and, and it's just, it, it's hard to be enjoyable when we're all getting the same stuff now because we can't get in the locker room still and the zoom on a Monday and uh, the cluster interviews the other days of the week. It's that, that part's not enjoyable to me because we're all, you know, swiping the same stuff and it's just it that part's just no fun it just becomes drudgery at that point i agree with you i i hated working the the Bengals beat to be quite honest but is there a year that stands out to you as one that was, uh, the, the, was more the, enjoyable yeah the 14 year was fun i thought because that, that team was really good and barring the andy injury i think they were the team to beat in the afc that year um and and th- that that was a good team um you know, you had some really good guys in the locker room then. You also had some characters in the locker room then. Um, you didn't know what you were going to get out of Adam Jones on a weekly basis. Um, Fontes was an ass, but that's one guy who you just kind of avoided unless you had to talk to him. You avoided him like the plague. But the rest of the locker room was, was pretty darn good, and that, that was good. But, uh, yeah, with, with with no locker room, it's just it's just so darn hard and just different, and it just feels like it's – it feels like the, 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 you're, on, you're, you're in Groundhog Day week after week after week. All right, sort of a piggyback question on that. I thought it was kind of interesting. Someone asked, any sense for how much often Mr. Brown addresses the team to share his feelings or perspective? I've heard a couple of references by players this year along the lines of, quote, how much this means to Mr. Brown. These young guys seem fond of him. Yeah, he doesn't address them, to my knowledge, at all, but he does go to practice every day, and he sits on the cart, and guys will sidle over to him and talk to him, and he'll talk to them. So he does have interaction with a lot, not not on a group basis, but on an individual basis, uh, I think quite a lot. I mean, we don't see all of practice. We only get to see the first 30 minutes of it. Um, but, you know, players will sidle up to him and talk to him. And um, so I do think that um, I, I do think that he does have some interaction, again, not as an addressing the group, if you will. Um, but, uh, you know, on that daily, I think it's important to him to be at that, whatever reason. he loves, just watching practice. It's the damnedest thing I've ever, it can be a thousand degrees. It can be 10 degrees. And that cat loves watching practice. I don't know what he gets out of it, but he loves watching it. And the players will sidle over to him and talk to him. So, you know, I, I think there is interaction there. And I think for whatever reason, the players, listen, again, that, there's the whole cheap mantra for this organization, right? And that has been the case in years past. It hasn't been the case for a decade plus they've kind of, you know, they've kind of grown up a little bit. They've taken care of their own for the most part. Um, you don't hear a whole lot of contract squabbles. I got the only one right now is we're dealing with the Jesse Bates situation. And as this season has kind of played out, they made the right call. Were, on it. Maybe they were right. 
You know, maybe they were right, especially when they knew they could franchise tag him. So, um, you know, I, I do think that, that those players who talk in those, those terms, I think they mean it because they've had some interaction with him on that practice field. All right. I'm hoping this will be a quick one. I, I don't really want to go into this very far, but someone asked, so I'll ask. How long until the Reds are relevant again, and what would it take for Castellini to sell the team? I feel like we're just going to do that over and over again until Reds baseball <laughs> yes. gets back, aren't uh, we? 2032, and um, you know, hopefully in the next two years, somebody decides to put together a group that tries to buy him out. I like that's it. All, that's all. That's that's the best. That's I the can best do. we can it's, do. Yeah. I said. Sadly, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah, unfortunately. Which life event is worse? We'll wrap it up with this, Skinny. Moving oh, wow. or job search? Um, I moved a lot as a kid. I haven't moved in 30 years, um, so I haven't had to do that much. And when I moved as a kid, yeah, I had made relationships, but the places we live, we lived in, we lived, I moved from here when I was five years old up to New York. Um, we moved twice in New York in three years um, just because we, my dad knew he was going to get transferred again, so he just rented. Um, so I made some friends, but certainly not lifelong friends. I lived in Tulsa, which I loved and made a, a couple of lifelong friends actually, um, in, in that regard and then came back here. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go job search just because of the unknown and the, the, the times I've had to search for a job has been a couple of times when I got riffed and was out of a job and that's a little nerve wracking. Um, it hasn't well, been for long. Well, that's the thing though, about the way this is phrased, right? If, if it's moving, it means you already found somewhere. So you're, you've already decided on a new house. You're just in the part of actually having to move into it. Right. Yeah. And, if you're doing uh, a yeah, job and, search, and, and, it means you more than likely got fired or right. lost your job or had to leave for whatever reason, but you, or you, need, or you hate, or you hate the job. You hate the job you're in and you're, you're desperately searching for a job. Yeah. You, you're in a spot where you have to find a new job and you don't know what it's going to be yet. So like from that perspective, it's definitely job search is worse. I would say yeah, because I, I, the, the I unknown and it's probably preceded by something that's not that great. I would throw in planning a wedding in the mix here. Not, not yeah, on the top I, list of things to do. I, I, I will say this. I was not part of my daughter's wedding planning. It's just not my thing. And um, I was never going <laughs> to be good at it. I. And um, that's kind of what that's a, that's, that's that side of it. And, and she has a sister and a mother and they all kind of really enjoyed doing that. The three of them together. It was kind of a, a nice activity for them every once in a while to go, do cake tastings and wedding dress sign, you know, putting ons and getting the venue. And the, I did get him the DJ. I will say that I did get them that, that part was, was on me. I got, the, got our guy, DJ Chevy. So we, we got, <laughs> we got so I was DJ. just going to ask, we, we got the DJ and he was, he did a great job actually. So she was thankful of that. And that worked out well. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I didn't have to mess with any of that stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, Fortunately, I don't have to do a whole lot of it either, but the stuff that I do is not my favorite. So it's just like being someone's personal assistant all of a sudden. It's like, when did I get a job where I have to be someone's assistant? This sucks. Right. I don't exactly. My my friends are my friends because we don't ever have to talk to each other. I don't want to talk to my friends and text them back and forth five times in a week. Exactly. That's yeah. a good call. That's yeah. a good call. Just, just occasionally meet them for a beer, watch a game and don't say a word other than what a great play. All right, man. I'll see you next week. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> all That's man, all I got. Stuff and, Enjoy your trip to uh, to the northern part of Ohio. Hopefully, uh, NKU comes back with a couple of wins for you. And then Fort Wayne. Oh, that's so right. For, I, I, I kept thinking it was young. I kept thinking it was Youngstown and Cleveland, Cleveland State do, and Purdue Fort they Wayne. Don't do, 
They don't do Youngstown and Cleveland. As well, no, because teams? you've now added Robert Morris. So Youngstown. Oh, Pittsburgh that's right. Together. That's right. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. You're right. So they, they've split that up within the last year. Uh, and we didn't go to one of them last year because of COVID. So yeah, but I feel like I, Fort so Wayne funny, has my I, favorite pizza place. One of my favorite pizza places in the entire country. So really? Yeah. A place called Oli's pizza or Ollie's pizza, something like that. But it's okay. kind of like uh, their take on a deep dish. It's funny. I feel like I've been to just about every county in Kentucky and Ohio and a bunch of them in Indiana. I've never been to Fort Wayne. Am I missing something in Fort Wayne? Uh, there is the Spice. There's the Spice Fieldhouse over there where there's. Oh, that's good right. That's right. They, that's, so. that's right. They, they do do that. You're right. I, that's about I the only reason I've up. ever gone there. Yeah, I never took a team up there to play in a term. I took them to Indiana a bunch. I took them to Carmel a bunch and Indianapolis a bunch. Um, but yeah, I didn't didn't do the whole Fort Wayne thing. So, oh, well. Um, all right, Rick, good stuff. Enjoy the trip. We'll be back uh, Sunday night with our Bengals podcast. We'll be back next week, midweek, either Wednesday or Thursday, depending on what our schedules are, to give you another midweek podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate it as always. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope Re-Edition presented by Ryan Keith of Prime Lightning.